This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. uh, We want to welcome and invite all women to join us at 1601 Quentin Road every Thursday night at 8 p.m. Okay, so tonight we are learning... I said. So we are learning tonight Louis Nishmat Yechezkel Ben Avraham. Okay, so now um, the... The way that I want to focus on tonight, which, which is obviously the topic of Purim, which is the topic of the psychology of Achashverosh. The reason why I feel this is very this is important, just in, in, like in a generalized way. When you want to go and when you want to understand something, when you understand where, let's say you want to understand someone. So if you understand where that person is coming from, that will answer a lot more questions that you will have. And I'll give you an example that happens day to day in my life, where I have, let's say, somebody talk to me, somebody ask me questions. So they'll say, they'll ask me, let's say, a bunch of different questions. It could be ranging from like God to who knows what. And I obviously have to answer those questions. But then there's another aspect over here is why are they asking that question? Is there something deeper going beyond it? Sometimes the question is just a question. This is the reason why I need to know something. Can you answer it? But many times there's something more deeper going on. There is a root cause of a problem. Where this comes very often is where people start not believing in the Torah, not believing in Judaism, not believing in God. All these aspects doesn't come from because I'm so smart, I studied everything, and I couldn't figure it out. It wasn't, it, there's something deep inside, there's a root cause of that problem. So when you find the root cause of that problem, all of a sudden, the other questions all fall away. So there's one thing, and this is how therapists work also. You have a, somebody goes to a therapist and say, I have anxiety, I am depressed, I blah, 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 I have all these issues. So the, the therapist or the psychiatrist doesn't say, okay, take these medications and that's it. I mean, well, maybe some do, but you shouldn't go to those. The way that they're supposed to do is to figure out why is it that you're having these problems? It's not enough, okay, so now you're, you're sad, you're down, you're anxious, but why? There's something underlining the reason it, and as soon as we uncover that and we deal with that, we uncover all the problems, we fix all the problems. Now, when you look at the Megillah, there are many, many questions that should come up. And we're going to go tonight, maybe we'll go through like 10 questions or so. And these are questions that everybody really should ask for it. But the fascinating thing is, is that we're going to focus on Ahasuerus tonight. And when you understand Ahasuerus, when you understand his psychology, all of a sudden the questions fall apart and everything starts making so much more sense. So, we'll start off with the first pasuk in Estelle. And that is, Vayihi hu Translation, it wasn't the days of Ahasuerus, he is Ahasuerus. The obvious question that you should first ask the second that you open up the Megillah is, why are we talking this way? It was the days of Trump, he is Trump. Like, couldn't you just tell me it was the days of Trump, or he is Trump? Why do I need a double language of saying who he is? It's like, you know, imagine you're... It's, it's, it, it can use this example in so many different variations. You're going somewhere, and you're introducing yourself... Hi, my name is whatever, Joe. I don't know why I said Joe. I could just say Joe. That was my real name. But whatever it is, I went with Joe. Hi, my name is Joe. It was in the days of Joe. You know, and then, you know, you go, like, just just stop. We, we got the point. Says Rashi. Rashi goes and says, you want to know why the Megillah repeats it? Because it's telling you that it's the same Achashverosh in the beginning of the story and the same Achashverosh in the end of the story. Meaning, he was a wicked man in the beginning. He was a wicked man in the end. Same man. 
This will brings us to question number one. Question number one is, what do you mean he's the same man? In the beginning of the story, he wanted to go and kill and destroy all the Jewish people. At the end of the story, he went, he was favorite to the, you know, to the Jews. He's like, no, you know, like, go and defend yourselves. Not only that, take the spoils from whoever the, you know, whoever's fighting against you. So he went from hating the Jews to loving the Jews. So why is Rashi telling us that he's the same man? He looks like he made a 180 degree turn. He looks like now all of a sudden he loves the Jews. He became better. He refined himself. Right? How does it work when a man and woman get married? A woman thinks, I'm going to change it. I'm going to fix him. Every man has a problem. He doesn't know those problems yet. But the woman will find it and he will fix it. So you may think, Ahasuerus was a problematic man. Esther, as a woman went, fixed him up, put his head in the right way, and now he loves the Jews and now everything works well. Says Rashi, no, no, no. Ahasuerus was wicked from the beginning to the end. So question one is, how do we understand that? When it looks like he was really a lot better. Question number two is something that we have to focus uh, today, and this is actually a topic that I was thinking of titling it, is the psychology of the parties. Because we're going to be speaking a lot about the parties today, but they're really focusing on the Hashem. The question is here is, why did Hashem show this party? And this question will be more stronger in bad English, is when you understand the level of how this party went and what went down in this party. So that's question number two, what was the purpose of the party? Question number three is, Ahasuerosh asked his wife Vashti to come in without any clothes. Which man in the normal brain would want that? Even the secular non-Jewish people do not want other men to go look at their wives. They They find it very revolting. In fact, there are many fights that may or may not happen in places where they serve alcohol, that start because one man was looking at another man's woman. Or what were you looking at? You know, like, even though... Well, we're not going to get there. Okay, so the, the problem over here is, is that what psychologically fine-tuned man would want his wife to walk in, you know, prance in front of everybody? It makes absolutely no sense. Question, that's question number three. Question number four is... We fast forward to the story. Esther gets married to Ahasuerus. And Ahasuerus asks her, so where are you from? And she doesn't, she somehow gets, I'm not telling you. Like, what? Imagine you're going on a date with a guy. And he picks you up, he's like, so where did you come from? (laughs) Let the past be the past, let's focus on the future. (laughs) Be like, well, you know, like, all right, where did you grow up? (laughs) What if we got to worry about what happened in my previous 20 years of my life? Don't worry about it. The first thing you do is run the other way. I'd be like, you know, the more that you pressure, and the more, I can just pressure her. It's like, so, you know, where's, you know, what type of nationality are you from? How did she get away with doing that? Imagine that. Imagine marrying someone you know nothing about. <laughs> you know nothing about their past. Can I meet your parents? No, they're not, no longer alive. Any relatives? Nah, don't worry about it. You know, like, imagine, you know, one of those people, don't worry about it. This is Israeli style. You know, like, you want to sell something. Hey, it's broken. Don't worry about it. Take it. It's good. Don't worry. Be like, no, it doesn't turn on. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. Beautiful. Put it on your wall. You know, like, you go, you know, like, well, how do you keep on, don't worry about it. Everything is good. How did Esther get away with that? Did I ever ask, and like, and he got away with so many, it wasn't like a week. It was years. Years. Achashverosh had no idea that his wife was Jewish. No idea. Like, imagine living with somebody, you have no idea. Don't wish it on anybody. Imagine government's own men. Turns out the Muslim. You know, like, in, in, do you understand the, the significance of this question? So in order to understand this, let's look at, all to understand these four questions, is let's look at Ahasuerus at and, and uh, a little bit of what his background was and what his goal was in life. So the Malbim goes and explains that during the time of Ahasuerus, the Persia, the Egyptian empires, there was a 
two ways that the rulership, the, the kings dealt with. There was a limited power and there was an unlimited power. So in a limited power rulership, king, it was the king was elected. People decided this guy is going to be the king, and he goes and he becomes king, and he's, he's limited in his power. He was chosen by the people. Then there's an unlimited power. Unlimited power is like a dictator that he wasn't chosen by the people. He took it by force. And there are quite a few. The Mabla brings down five differences. We're going to go through three. There, there's quite a, a few huge differences between the limited power and the unlimited power. So number one in the limited power... The national treasuries, the, the money of the state, of the government, belongs to the government. Now, the king that was elected can't say, like, oh, I want it, this is my money now. No, no, it's not yours. You get whatever it is. Yes, he, he has obviously a tremendous amount of power. But the money doesn't belong to you. The Federal Reserve doesn't belong to Donald Trump. Let's think about it that way, right? The Federal Reserve belongs to the government, and Federal, Donald Trump works for the government. Now, in an unlimited power, in a, this type of rulership, is the Federal Reserve belongs to Donald Trump. Fed, the, the entire money of the government belongs to the king. That's difference number one. Difference number two is that in a limited uh, government, in a limited power, the king cannot make tremendous amount of policy changes. Can make changes as needed, but he can't start changing like laws. He can't like change like major laws. And difference number three is the capital city cannot be changed in a limited power. In an unlimited power, does whatever he wants. But in a limited power, the capital city doesn't change. So three things over here. Number one, the money of the government belongs to the government, not to the king. Number two, major policy changes can be done by the king. And number three, the capital city can be changed. Cannot be changed. The difference is by an unlimited power, do whatever he wants. Whatever he wants, power is, is in his hand. Now, where was Ahasuerus? Ahasuerus, was he a limited power ruler or was he an unlimited power ruler? So when he came into, the, into play, when he came into as a king, he started off, he was a commoner. He had a lot of money. He won successful. He, he was successful in what he did. And he ended up getting into power. And not only that, he also married Vashti. Vashti was the granddaughter of Nebuchadnezzar, which was the ruler of Babylon. And uh, he sort of married into it, but he also conquered it. So he came in from two different angles. He conquered it, he had money, he had wealth, and he also married into the royalty. Now, when the people decided that, yeah, he's going to be king, the people, their mind was, he's going to have limited power. You know, he married into Vashti, that's the power that he's going to have, limited. When Ahasuerus walked into it, he's like, no, 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 I'm not getting limited. I am getting unlimited power. That is my goal over here. Now, at the Malbim, so beautifully, as you go through the story, you see why Ahasuerus picked certain things to do certain things a certain way, which may seem psychotic, and it, 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 it is. But the reason why he did it, he was focusing on one point. And that point was, let me show everybody that I am not here with a limited power. I am here with unlimited power. So let's go on and see how this comes into play. So... When Ahasuerus goes and makes his party, he invites, it's very interesting, when you invite somebody, how do you generally invite? You invite first the, the royalties, and then you invite the lower level, and then the lower level, and then slowly after that, that's the invitation goes out. It's not, you know, let's say you have uh, a, you know, a servant that's working in the castle, and then you have a high government official, and the servant goes to the high government official, so you got your, you know, your invitation to Ahasuerus' party, be like, what are you talking about? What Ahasuerus? You know, like, what party? What, he doesn't know what he's talking about. So the way that it should go, First the higher government official, then the lower and the lower level. What did Ahasuerus do? He did the opposite. First the lower, and then the higher, and then, the, and, he went, and then he went up backwards. Why did he do that backwards? To show all those high government powers. And by the way, I don't need you. You're not necessary for, my, for me to rule. You and the servant are exactly the same to me. He was displaying an idea into their mind. I have unlimited power, and you make no difference to me. He's enforcing this. Number two, 
He also goes, where does he make this party? In the courtyard. The courtyard of the king was, was only for like gov- high, high government officials. What did he do? He invited all the common people as well. He says, this and this, you're the same to me. You mean nothing to me. What did he do furthermore? He took his wealth and he opened it up. First of all, we have to start asking, like no one does that. Even the, even if you have the closest friend, they don't share, they'll share that they have marriage problems, they have children problems, they have infertility problems. They'll share. One thing people don't share is their bank account. They'll share everything else, right? They'll share what's the worst of the worst that's happening in life. The money, that's at the end. You know, like there is, like, like if you, someone's sharing with you how much money they're making, then you know that's a different level. So we look over here, who, and even you look at the, the wealthiest people in the world, how do they decide who's wealthy? How does Forbes decide who's the wealthiest? They don't knock on, you know, Jeff Bezos' door and be like, show me your statements. You know, where do you belong? You know, like a number one, number two, number three. They go and they estimate based on, you know, different, you know, factors how much they're roughly, they're, they're roughly worth. Maybe some people go and send in and be like to Forbes, hey, by the way, you put me number 43, I'm really 35. You made a mistake over here. Maybe in this day and age that would happen. But generally speaking, you have to go and ask me why? Because people don't want to show off their wealth. They don't show off everything that they have. They want to keep it it's something that's private. So you look at it, why in the world did Ahasuerus opened up his wealth for everybody? Go and see exactly how much I'm worth. It makes absolutely no sense. But you know what's even furthermore, something beautiful, that you look at his, his psychology. His psychology was that I have your unlimited power. Now, if I have your unlimited power, so what does that mean? The wealth of the government belongs to him or it belongs to the government? It belongs to him. If it would belong to the government, he has absolutely no, resho- no, no right to go and show it to everybody else. It doesn't belong to you, it belongs to the government. But what is he showing? He's opening up his doors to everybody else, saying, what, this belongs to me? Proof, I'm showing it, I'm going and sharing it with everybody else. Everybody's coming in over here. So the entire focus, the theme of this party, was check out how much power I have. This is all mine. Now, let's look a little bit about this party. Ahasuerus had a lot of things doing in this, um, in this party. Number one, he had a very interesting rule. If somebody goes and breaks something or damages something in the palace unintentionally, don't have to pay any damage. Now, for anybody who has, you know, kids could, could understand this, let's say you're going to a nice place. It could be a nice hole, doesn't matter, whatever it is, a nice place. And your kids are running all over the place. You cannot enjoy yourself. You know, like imagine there's a priceless vase over here and there's another, you know, teapot over here that's from China, you know. Where's the place? Shuwen, China? Whatever. Not now. Muhan. Muhan. Whatever it is. From China, so no one's touching that one. But there's another vase from like Per. Whatever it is, there's certain vase that's priceless. Bless you. There's certain... What do you do? You can't enjoy yourself. Don't run over there. Don't touch it. Don't jump on the wall. What is going on? You know, you're going point depending on your kids, right? Sometimes it's over there. So you're going and you're running around. You're saying, what's going on? You can't enjoy yourself. And not only that... Sometimes if you're, you're nervous, you can't let loose when you can't, you know, you know fully like... You know, do whatever it is that you want. Even if you have some people, let's say they go, they want to drink, they, they feel like they're a certain place. Okay, it's not appropriate. It's not this. Maybe I'm going to throw up at the king's carpet. You know, the, the king put over here, the rugs were, its weight was valued in gold. It was the most expensive rugs in the world. And beyond, under that, they had the most expensive marble in the world. And they had the most expensive curtains and the most expensive art. They have, everything was, the ambiance over there was ridiculous. So somebody is sitting over there. How are they going to enjoy? They're sitting on this couch. You know how they used to eat in the olden days, right? They used to recline. I don't understand that, right? They used to imagine trying to sip a wine while you're reclining. It drips all over you. We tried every Pesach, right? That's why we, the men wear kittles because we always spill. Um, that's it's our bibs. So, you know, when you go and when you, when you think about it, like you're leaning, reclining, you know, eating a grape or whatever it is, and you're drinking wine and something spills, you can't enjoy yourself. But what does Achashosh say? No, 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 don't worry about it. Anything unintentional, 
all expenses covered, just enjoy yourself. Let your kids run on the wall. And by the way, it was a kids, you know, behind this party as well. Kids go off the wall, doesn't matter. They break things, they rip things. Don't worry about it. I got it. It's on me. Then he goes and he makes a, it was, it was like a wine party. This is very famous. It was a very famous wine. You know, like the, if, if you are of a certain age, you could have that type of aged wine, which is ridiculously expensive. He was, you know, he had, if you want the wine, you wanted foreign, you wanted local, you wanted chilled, you wanted, you know, warm. Whatever it is that you wanted wine, it was taken care of. Not only that, it was even furthermore, there, the cups that you drank from weren't plastic, you know, nothing against amazing savings, but, you know, those plastic look like silver you know, goblets, you know, that you were drinking from them and then you squeeze it too hard and it shatters. It's, it was real gold with jewels on it. And the second that you finished it, you were like, you know what, I'll have another one. You take it, you hold out your cup, the waiter's like, no, no, no. He had a little pouch over there. He's like, that cup, it's yours, keep it. And he takes out another bejeweled, bedazzled cup and be like, and this is your new cup. I'd be like, wait a minute, what, what should I do with this one? It's like, no, that, take it home, do whatever you want with it. Be like, this is, uh, this is for me to keep. Be like, yeah, yeah, enjoy it, it's yours. Like, you know, can I have four more, um, you know, like, I have a few more drinks of that. And you walk around like this, you're drinking. As soon as you finish a cup, it's yours. It's yours to keep. And these are expensive cups. All of a sudden, this is a business. You think Jews are not going to go to that thing? You know, of course, it's a huge business coming over here. You can make your year salary just collecting these types of cups. Not only that, the food over there, the party was for 180 days. This, six months, there was never a repeat in the menu. Now, I could speak to somebody, you know, people that can appreciate it. I speak to men, be like, yo, what's the big deal? You know, like, because they never cooked in their life. But you speak to, you know, like, imagine having to cook six, 180 days, never to repeat the menu. You'll go out of your mind. You know, what are you supposed to do? How many variations of steak can you make? How many variations of chicken? But they, in this party, nothing was repeated. So it was such an elaborate type of party. And furthermore, there was something very interesting. Ahasuerus went and he gave the enjoyment to four out of the five senses. Anybody know which sense he didn't give the enjoyment to? Here. Music, very good. He didn't give the, uh, the, there was no music. The question is, why not? You think about it. You go to any, the most upscale restaurant, what do they have? They have music playing in the background. They have music. Some restaurants, I really feel that the Hechshel Ashkacha should include the music. Because some restaurants, you go in there, and I don't know why they're playing the certain types of music. It really bothers me. Uh, I don't know why. It's a kosher restaurant, and you know you have religious people sitting over there. Why are you playing non-Jewish music? I, beyond me, it's, I, I don't understand it. But it, let's say you go. So you go to a fancy restaurant. It plays classical music. You go to a really, really high class, whatever it is. I don't know. So you have a violinist sitting by your table, you know, playing for you. You know, whatever it is. So you think about it. There's music. There's always music that's, you know, that, that comes into it. If Akashverus is trying to pull it all, why didn't he, why did he take out the music? Let's look on how much money he spent on this type of, uh, on these parties. So this party lasted for 180 days. The Midrashim tell us that the amount of money that he spent on one day, the amount of, let's put it this way, the amount of food that he prepared for one day was enough to last a 180-day party. Meaning, so every single day that he made a party, that was enough to last 180 days. Meaning that this party that he made for 180 days was not just enough food for 180 days, it was 180 times 180 which means is the amount of food that he has made for the party was 32,400. 180 times 100. That's how much money he spent on those, those, those six months party. Now we think about it. It wasn't, uh, you know, created, it was not for like one person. He made for, for this 32,000 day party enough for the entire people that came in there. Meaning 
that if you divide that by 365, you're going to roughly 88 years. 88 years worth of food per person that he gave on this six-month party. Meaning that if you went to this party, if he wouldn't have done this party, he could have given you enough food for your lifetime. Not you, everybody that came in. That's how much he went and he spent to that. But it's not only that. This, the, the Midrashim tells us that the seven-day party, after the 180 days, there was a seven-day party. The amount of money that he spent on the seven-day party was equal to the amount of money that he spent on the 180-day party. So he spent another 32400 So you're talking about 64800 days worth of parties that he spent on his party. Which is ridiculous. Okay, so you want to make it over the top. So you... It makes you a question. Now, now the question gets even stronger. Why did Achshar put all this money towards this party? Like, what was so significant about this party for for? Uh, yeah, for him? He was very, very wealthy. He had money. But even if you have money, you don't see. When was the last time you were invited to Bill Gates? It's porn bash, right? So, um, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. So, let's go. Let's take this another another step. What did he do? Also, he went and Achshar during this party abolished all sales tax. No sales tax. Everyone had a, a uh, you know, like a, a good feeling, you know, like when you buy something and it's discounted, you know, the Jewish feeling that comes inside, <sighs> you know, it's partially, you know, Ganeden, you know, like a little part of that. So the, he had, he abolished sales tax, you know, for, you know, during that time. Now, you know how sometimes you're in a location and you're in a situation and you're like, ah, it's the ah moment. And that moment's like, ah, I really shouldn't be here, right? Like imagine you have to go and you have to pray mincha and you walk into a room and there's a bunch of cur- uh, crosses everywhere and you're like, hmm, I shouldn't be here. Like this is not where I should be. You know, like one of those like aha, it's not, it shouldn't be aha, but sometimes like aha moments. Yeah, this is not for me. That happened during this party. So Achashverosh goes to the Jewish people and he starts comparing himself to God. He says, he's, he says, just as God sustained the world and doesn't ask anything in return, so do I. I invite you to the party asking nothing in return. So the Jewish people were like, oh, why did you say that? You know, it's going to make us feel bad. Now we shouldn't be here. It comes in with a big day kun, you know, the, the Kohen Gadol. Be like, oh, you know, that's the, oh, I shouldn't be here. You know, that's not good, you know. And then furthermore, he goes and he says, you know, like, do you think God is going to give you this type of feast in Gan Eden after 120? I don't know if he said after 120. But he said, do you think God is going to give you this type of feast over here? And there, he was, they were like, ooh, okay. You know, like, you know, stepped over the line over here. Like, yeah, come on. You know, you, he stepped over. So what happened? The Jews were like, all right, we got to be careful over here. There's something, you know, something is a little bit fishy over here. Something doesn't smell right. But what happens after the first cup of wine? Be like, yeah, but you know what? Another cup of wine. And then by the third cup of wine, you'd be like, you know, really, he's honoring the Kohen Gadol. You know how people go, and the second they start sinning, it's a mitzvah. You know, like, what is he saying? You know, the Gemara comes out, right? He doesn't mean that he's going against God. Really, what he means is that he loves God so much. And by coming over here, we're enjoying God and we're appreciating God. I saw mitzvah that we have to, we have to stay here. It will be a, a, a to leave. You know how the, the Satan works. So when you're doing something bad, I have this, this, you know, constantly, it's like, it's, is, you know, my comedy, you know, daily, you know, inspiration for humor is when people call me up and they're about to do a bad sin, but really, I need it. You don't understand. It's going to make me feel so... Obviously, I'm like, I don't know what you think of. You know, like, but they go and they make it into a mitzvah. They turn it. So what I, that's what wine does. So wine, originally you have over here something, and it's bad. You're not supposed to be here. You're like, oh, it's a bunch of crosses. I really shouldn't pray over here. But it's a spiritual place. I mean, they believe in God over here. Is it better for me to go to an atheistic place? So all of a sudden things start, you know, turning in your, uh, in your, in your mind. 
Is it? No, no, don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, do not, do not go pray in a place where there's crosses. Okay. So now, before we understand why Achashvosh threw this party, we have to understand another question, and that is the question regarding the queen. What was up with the queen? Why did he ask the queen to come out without any clothes? It makes absolutely no sense. So, when did this come out? Anybody know when this happened? When did that, when did Vashti go and was supposed to come out? What? Which? We're in the party. Last day. Last day of seven days. What day was that? Besides that, there was something else. It was Yom Kippur. Very good. It was Yom Kippur. Oh, is that what it is? Okay, there you go. So, so there you go. It was Yom Kippur. So the majority of the Jews weren't there, or probably all the Jews would say weren't there. What happened? During that day, Achashverosh, the way that he worked the party was that he was a good host. He was pouring everybody wine, mingling with them. So how was everything doing? Blah, blah, blah. He's, you know, chit-chatting. And then the seventh day of the final day of the party, he's like, you know what? Time to let loose. He's like, bring me the good stuff. He went and he started drinking. He started pounding the wine and he started getting drunk. And what happens when you have a bunch of goyim, a bunch of non-Jews drinking together? What are they going to start speaking about? The, the stock market? No, they're not going to speak about that. What do they start arguing with each other? Which woman is more prettier than the other one? And, uh, you know, the Babylonians saying this and the Persians are saying this and, uh, you know, the Ethiopians are saying this and everybody's saying their woman is the most beautiful woman. What does Ahasuerus say? He says, all you guys have got nothing on me. He says, my wife is the most prettiest wife of everybody else. And they're all like, yeah, sure. You take a horse and you dress him in a queen's clothing, they'll look, she'll look nice. That's what happens when you drink. You stop thinking. Yeah, and you say horse to the queen. So um, he goes and he says, oh, you think it's the clothing? I'll prove it to you. I'll show you that she's more beautiful than all of your women without any of this clothing. So he goes and he calls them to go and to come out without any, to her to come out without any clothing. The question is, why is that so important to him? Why does he care? If you have confidence, you don't have to show it. How does it work? On social media, when you see stepping on dangerous grounds now. Social media, when you see pictures nonstop about how amazing my wife is and my husband is, whatever, you know that there's problems in that house. You don't have to send it out to the world to show how amazing. If it's amazing, you keep it closed. You keep it inside the house. But why is it all of a sudden everyone saying, you know, how amazing it is? Because you start showing it off. So what is the insecurity that's going on in Ahasuerus that he feels he has to show the world that his wife is more prettier and more beautiful than the entire world? He's just trying to focus on unlimited power. He could simply say, hey, my wife is the prettiest wife. Zip it. What would everybody do? They're like, yeah, of course, your wife. What were you thinking about? Yeah, of course, yeah, a horse. No, no, it's a unicorn of a horse. It's unbelievable. You know, like they're going to bring it to a different level. So why was he? Why did he care so much? So now, let's try to understand why was she so embarrassed to come out? Because obviously, right? She wasn't on a high level. So it's a good question. Why was she embarrassed to come out? One of the reasons was is when Achashverosh went and he told Vashti to come out. How did he say? He said that Vashti, the queen, should come out without any clothes. What did he say first? Vashti and then the queen. Meaning that it was a focus, it was a point that he was focused on, saying that you want to know why you're queen? You're not queen Vashti, you're Vashti the queen. Meaning that you are nothing without me. It's not like you are a high level. The only reason why I married you is because you're the most beautiful woman. That's the only reason, not because you have some power. And that's why he sent the smallest of the servants to go and call her. And what did she respond back when she says, I'm not going back? She says, Queen Vashti. She put Queen first and then Vashti afterwards. She says, No, 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 I married this woman, you think, to consolidate my, you know, because she comes from the heritage? I didn't marry her that way. I married her because she's beautiful and no other reason. 
So Vashti was a, hurt to her arrogance. Be like, what? You think that's what I am? I ain't coming out for you. You don't know me. They're like, I am not going to do that. And she goes and she refuses for that. And then obviously, as the things went by, we know the end of the story where, um, you know, she grew extra parts where it was a little bit difficult for her to come out, even though she wanted to come out. There is one opinion of that, yeah. So now, let's look about why Ahasuerus did this. Why did he want her to come out without any clothes? So, you look at Ahasuerus ruling over 127 different countries, provinces. And he has one question on his mind. Now, I, I own uh, this majority of the world. How do I keep it that way? How do I keep it that this is going to belong to me? And this is going to stay in my in my possession. So, he was thinking, thinking, and then he thought about one word was the answer. And the answer is parties. That's how I'm going to keep it. So what did he do? He invited the entire, all the dignitaries, all the middle managers, he invited everybody from all the other countries, come in and come to my party. Now, what was his idea by that? He threw such a crazy party with the intent that people on the party have an unbelievable time. Then they go back to their countries, and everyone's going to be like, so... How was Persia? You know, like, how was, did you enjoy yourself? What happened over there? And what he wanted people to say is like, you have no idea what happened. All I can say is what happens in Persia stays in Persia. <laughs> like that you have no clue the type of party that he threw. It was off the hook. It was da 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 You know, like all these things that were ridiculous. He was saying like, the guy, you know, this Persian, you know, king just throws, we saw his wealth. He's unbelievable wealthy. And all of a sudden, the entire world is going to be here about like, wow, look at the party that has So, so what are the, what the entire world is going to be like? Be like, you heard about Persia? Be like, yeah, we're under the rulership. All of a sudden, they want to be part of Persia. Persia is cool. Persia is awesome. Persia is amazing. Persia's got the money, it's got the power, it's got the beauty, it's got the wealth, it's got everything going for it. So Akashverosh is thinking, how am I going to keep my 127 promises, 127 promises? He went and he threw a party to go and get everybody to want to come to them, want to come and stay part, you know, under, under his rulership. And this is one of the, one of the reasons that you have corporate parties. You have people that spend upwards of a half a million dollars on a party, on a holiday party. And you think about it, why would a corporate, you know, you know, institution want to spend so much money on a party? So there's obviously, you know, employee appreciation. There's many different facets of it. But one of the facets is be like, well, this party's got money. You know, this party, this, this business has got money. I want to stay with, look at the party that they threw. It's unbelievable. It's crazy. I know, I know a, a very, well, partially successful business, a tremendous amount of money that they had to borrow. They didn't, they weren't doing well in a certain period of time. And they had to borrow money. They borrowed so I got the half a million. They borrowed a half a million dollars to throw a party. They, they were barely making payroll, but they decided that they needed to borrow another half a million dollars to go and make a party. That's how important it was, you know, you know, for them. So again, well, it was right or wrong, whatever. It's irrelevant for this uh, discussion. But the, the idea over here is that Hashverosh wanted to make this party. This party is so amazing, so awesome that you want to be here. This is his way of keeping uh, his, his countries, his countries. Now, let's look at why he wanted Vashti to come out. So he had the power, he had the wealth, he wanted another aspect of this, of this, you know, circle that he was going for, and that is the beauty. He wanted to know the beauty, and what represents the beauty? The queen. He wanted everybody to see the beauty of the queen, showing that this is what represents Persia. The most beautiful woman you have ever seen in your life, it's the queen. And they went and they saw her without this and without that. It would bring it to another whole level. But when you look at this, so his focus over here was two things. Number one, is his party. He wanted to do it to show that he has absolute, complete control. The, 
The money is my money. The wealth is my wealth. I, all you people are exactly, yeah, he said that, you people, right? All you people are slaves to me. You, you mean, they're like the same level to me. And then he goes and he says, you know, like now that I have this complete unlimited power, how am I going to keep it? So before, if let's say, you know, let's say you own a company and you want to give your workers more work, you need to increase their workload. So one way is just to increase the workload and then they're not going to be happy. But what, when, when, if it would be smart, when would you do it? You first give the bonus. And then you'd be like, or you first give an increase in salary, and by the way, here is your increased workload. So it's sort of like bribing them into doing something extra, and now they, they feel like they want to do it. So what Akashverosh is saying is like, now I have unlimited power. And, but I can uh, go up there and say unlimited power. No, but come, look, check it out. I'm going to share my wealth with you. I'm going to share my, my influence with you. I'm going to share my, my wine with you, everything. So it's sort of like bribing them to show them that he has this unlimited power. And not only that he has unlimited power, but he also has the, the beauty, the everything going on for him in his, in, his, uh, in his kingdom. Now what happens over here when Vashti refuses? You think about it, Vashti refuses, so he goes and he kills her. The guy's psychotic. I mean, he's Persian, whatever. No, so I'm saying he's psychotic, right? Like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, okay, so you're, you know, the second your wife says no, you're going to kill her? Yeah, it makes absolutely no sense. What was he doing then? And this was based off Haman. He was trying to go and he was trying to say, like, no, you need to kill her. Why do you need to kill Vashi now? And Haman was the one who gave that, that instructions to go and kill her. Why? He says, Akashverosh, you went and you spent so much money for 180 days. You said 64,000 parties you could have made with this. And you did it for what? To show that you have unlimited power. What are the people going to say? He says, this guy can't even control his wife. That's how he spoke that day. Right? I can't even control my wife. Hey, you can't even control your wife. How are you going to control an entire country? You ask your wife to come out. You refuse to listen to you. You think we're going to stay under your rule? Says Haman Tarashosh, everything that you worked for, everything that you built in this party is all with one swooping motion. Your woman destroyed it all. You have no choice but to kill her. So Hashem says, you know what, you're right. Uh, what am I going to do? I have to kill her. And he goes and he decides that the only way that he could keep his control, keep his power, again, that's his psychology. That's his focus. His focus is to keep the control, keep the power. Now Vashti goes against it. So now he has to go and he has to kill her. But there was another reason. So far so good? Yeah. Okay. So now there's another reason why he made this party. And the reason is the reason for every problem in the world. Uh, so some news that may rhyme with BNN say... <laughs> and that is the Jews. Right? Why did he make the party? For the Jews. Now, the Gemara in Megillah, page 12a, says that one of the reasons that Achashverosh did this party is he wanted the Jewish people to sin. And what type of sin? He knows that, that Achashverosh is sonezima. He hates immorality. God hates immorality. So he wanted the Jewish people to go and sin. And they made studies on the Jews. They focused on the Jews and they studied the Jews and they saw that when the Jews sin, then... God distances himself from them and it's bad for the Jews. And that's why Vashti herself also, she made a party for the woman. Why did she make a party for the woman? What was her focus on the party for the woman? If let's say somebody's in a you know hypothetical situation, a man and a woman are in a relationship. If the woman holds strong in let's say Shomer Nigia, then the man has no option. But if the woman falls, forget about it, right? It's only a matter of time before the man is going to fall. The woman has a certain power over here that is more than the man. In certain areas, a woman can control the man in this area more than the man control himself. And Vashti was, was, was focusing on if we get the woman to sin in immorality, if we get them to fall in this, then it's only a matter of time before the men fall. So her focus, focus was also to go and destroy the, the, the Jewish mentality, the Jewish, the, the, the Jewish holiness. And why was she so into this? She went, she comes from Nebuchadnezzar. Her grandfather went and destroyed the temple. 
He destroyed the temple when she was 12 years old. You're talking about now, she's about 18, six years goes by, and she's over here six, so she remembers why, you know, this is what her grandfather worked so hard to destroy the temple. So she wanted to keep it that way. How do you keep it that way? Make sure the Jewish people sin. And the Jewish people needed to sin, and that's what the focus was. And Achashverosh and Vashti, their focus was, they wanted the Jewish people to sin. Why do they care so much about the Jews? Like, just leave us alone. Let us do our thing. We'll go in and we'll wrap some stuff around. We'll wear some stuff overhead. Just leave us alone. Why does he care so much? And furthermore, now that we could review all the details that I gave you about the party, it all starts making sense of why he did it a certain way to help the Jewish people sin. You know what he said? What happens if somebody goes and breaks something? Don't worry about it. No consequences. When you think no consequences, he says no consequences, not for the physical, not for the spiritual, don't worry about anything, relax, enjoy, you break something, it's okay, you sin, eh, don't worry about it. You know, like, you know, he's, he's giving the mentality of do whatever it is that you want. Why did he not put any music? Music has a power that, that brings you to a higher level. If somebody listens to music, there are people that go and they're down. They listen to music, all of a sudden it raises their spirits. More than anything else, music has the power to connect your soul. The reason why, it's very interesting, why you have, let's say, lullabies to children, why the children, you know, sing all these, these types of music. I'm not talking about Mozart and all the whatever stuff. I'm not saying it's bad, but I'm saying I'm not. When uh, a soul is in, the, in heaven, what do they hear? They hear shira of the malachim, the angels singing shira praises to God. So music is a connection to the soul. So the music, when a child, when a little infant hears music, it reminds him or her of what went on in the, you know, in Shemaim that the Shirada was sung. So there's a connection to spirituality with music. Ahasuerus says the point of this party is to get the Jewish people to sin. If I go and if I'm going to go and get put music, it's going to raise them to a spiritual level. It's going to raise the spiritual level. I don't want it. So it's better that there's no music. Even though he would have hired 50 cents. And he would have went. He said, no, I don't want any music. There's nothing. Not a quarter, not a 50 cent, not a 75. Nothing. No music whatsoever. Not even classical music he didn't want to put. So now, this is also why. What did he do? He canceled the sales tax. What happens? What, if you think about it, where do people fall into sin more? When they're down, depressed, and very you know, low on their luck, and everything bad is happening to them? Or when everything good is happening to them, and they're successful, they're closing business, they're their business, they're making money, and everything's going great in their life. If you want to know the answer to this question, look at where you see more churches, more synagogues. Do you see them in the more the wealthy areas, or do you see them more in the poor areas? A hundred percent in the poor areas, you see all of these. Why? Because people have, they, they feel like a need for it. But when someone's going something so, everything's working so well, they close the deal, what do they want? They want to celebrate, they want to party. So what did Akashvera says? No sales tax, you're making money on this. You know, you go, you want this, you want this drink, take the cup. So people were making money by drinking. They're, they're elated. What do you mean? I just paid my mortgage. I just paid my next month's mortgage. I just paid that. You're, they're making money over here. So they feel happy. They feel more likely to go and fall into sin. And of course, this is what wine does. You have your wine, you're drinking the wine, so your inhibitions go down, you have the, the restraint goes down as well, also brings you to another level of, of sin. So now, we have to go here, and we have to see when Vashti goes in, and she has to come in without any clothes over here. So what was his focus was? Number one, it was that Vashti will be more beautiful than anybody else. But number two is also that what happens, that once the queen does it, then it's only a matter of time before the minister do it. And it's only a matter of time before the regular people. Eventually, this is the type of party that's going to turn into. It's the type of party turn into that it's going to be, you know, without, you know, you know, women are going to be mingling with men, without, you know, sufficient clothing and so on and so forth. Now, this is the same concept as once you get the woman to go and fall into it, it's like the first fad. She was trying to, you know, he was, was trying to try to start this fad of, you know, this woman mingling with men without, uh, you know, sufficient, uh, you know, clothing. So, what happens? The Jewish people go into the party. 
and they unfortunately go and they sit in the party. Then they go and Vashti gets killed by this party because she didn't come. And then you have Queen Esther comes out and she is now the queen for quite you know a few years. And now all of a sudden there's a decree for the entire Jewish nation going to be destroyed. And now Esther has to figure out a way how to annul this decree. Now we're I just gave you a quick synopsis. We're zooming fast forward through the story. Now we're going to the next parties. We didn't answer questions yet. We still have questions. But now let's look at the next party. The next party is Esther. So Esther, you have to think about it. You know, like, what is Esther doing? Esther goes, and the entire Jewish people are at risk for annihilation. They were decreed to be destroyed. And Esther's like, you know what I'm going to do? Parties. Let's make parties. Just like, you know, come into the... What was, what was her thought process behind it? So... When, when Esther comes into Ahasuerus, um, if you know the background of this, is that Mordechai goes over to Esther and says, hey, by the way, go to Ahasuerus, your husband, speak to him about the Jewish people. And what does Esther say? She says, listen, I haven't, he hasn't called me with more than 30 days. It's been a while. I can't just barge in over here. And uh, Mordechai says, no, you better, you better go in. And she decides that she's going to go in. She goes in. She fasts, she prepares, she goes in. When she goes in, the rule was that if Achashverosh went and you came in and he didn't go and extend his scepter to you, then you are dead. And in walks in Esther after not being called in for over 30 days. And Achashverosh initially what he wanted to do, kill her. He's like, and in his mind he was like, look at the irony. He's like, my first wife, I called her, she didn't come, I had to kill her. My second wife, I didn't call her, she came, I have to kill her. You know, so like you think about the irony of this, you know, but then that was his focus. He was going to go and he was going to kill her. And then he looked at her. The angel made him, you know, made him look at her, you know, and he sort of like a calming sensation came over his, himself and he decided, you know, you know, what do you need? What do you want? Apt to have the, have the kingdom. He was going to go and he was going to give her. As it says in Esther chapter 5 verse 3, What is it that you need, Esther the queen? And what is your request? Obviously you didn't come and risk your life for nothing. I will give you up to half the kingdom. When is it the last time that a woman went over to her husband and said, you know, I have a favor to ask you. Up to half my business, half my house, I'll give it to you. You know, like, first of all, it's a weird way of talking, right? Like, why would he, you know, you say that? Uh, nowadays it's weird because a woman says, what are you talking about? It's all mine, nothing to do with you. So... <laughs> But you look at it, the Megillah, the Gemara Megillah, page 15b says, what does it mean, Ad Malchut? What does it mean, after half the kingdom? You know what Achashverosh is telling her? Achashverosh is telling her, I'm going to give you everything. What's half the kingdom? I'm not going to build a Betta Mingdash. That's what the Gemara says, what he means when he says, up to half the kingdom. He says, because that's going to split up my kingdom, I'm not going to do that. We're going to have to ask a few questions on this. Number one, now we're going to answer all the questions of that. Number one, Achashverosh at this point did not know she is Jewish. She had, he had no idea she was Jewish. She was, she hit her, she hit her, her nationality, she hears where she comes from. She comes in after 30 days. Why does he even think about the Beta Mikdash? She comes in and be like, I'll give you anything, but don't start talking to me about this Jewish Beta Mikdash. Be like, what's a Jewish Beta Mikdash? Like, you know, for all he knows, she could be Hindu. Like, what, what does it have to do with the, with the Beta Mikdash? So that's question number one. Question number two, what does he have against the Beta Mikdash? <laughs> like, oh, let them build a Beta Mikdash. They'll pay your taxes. Who cares? Since when do you, does the government care if you want to build a certain, you know, uh, you know, in a faraway land, you want to you want to follow this religion, you want to follow that? Who cares? As long as you pay the taxes, that's all they care about. So why did Achashverosh care so much about the Beta Mikdash? That's question number two. Question number three is somewhat related to this: is you have over here Mordechai. We're jumping all over the story, so you have to know the story for this type of class. Mordechai goes, and he has to get rewarded by Achashverosh. What does Achashverosh do with the reward for him? 
All right, you're going to wear the king's clothes. You're going to ride the, the king's horse, and it's going to, you're going to go you know, down. And everybody's going to say, this is what should be done to the king, the, to a person who king wants to honor. What type of reward is that? Have you ever heard of this reward? Like, imagine you go and you save, like, Bill Gates' life. And your reward is, is we'll walk you through the conference room, and, uh, you know, with the Microsoft executives, and be like, this is what, you'll wear the Bill Gates, you know, clothing, which is from Target, whatever it is, right? You will go and you will dress exactly, and you, this, what type of reward is that? Give it money. What you give it, what, what the type of reward is like, we'll dress you up like a king, and we'll drive you in the horse. Have you ever heard a type of reward? That makes absolutely no sense. What, what's the king thinking of this, giving uh, Mordechai this type of reward? That's question number three. Question number four is, Esther comes into Ahasuerosh. She hasn't seen him in 30 days. She's risking her life. He goes over to her, he gives her, you know, hands out the scepter. She goes, she touches, you know, it, she's saved. That's, you know, free for all. She's okay. And then she goes, and, and then Ahasuerosh goes to her and says, what do you want? I'll give you up to half the kingdom. He's opening up the, the floor for her. Why doesn't she just say, can you save the Jewish people? You know, like, just lay it out. What did she say? No, can you come to my party, please? Like, and the next day, can you come to another party of mine? Just every day he's asking you, what do you want? Ask, tell her, what do you want? Why do you got to go to another party? Why do you give her a party? Understand the question? The question is, is, is when you think about it, it makes absolutely no sense. And if you didn't have this question before, you have to think about it. Why didn't I have this question before? So let's go through a few reasons of why Esther did this. Okay. So far, you guys are following with me? You're with me? Good. Okay. So now, Esther becomes queen. And... She finds favor in his, she finds favor, right? What does it say? By Yahav Amelech, she went and she found favor in his eyes. And what happened? Esther didn't divulge her background. She didn't say where she comes from. Now let's try and understand why. Why didn't she do that? So, when Vashti was killed, why was she killed? Because of her arrogance. We said before that Vashti was very arrogant. She says, no, I'm the queen and then I'm Vashti. And Ahasuerus was like, no, 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 you're Vashti and then you're queen. But because of her arrogance, of her Babylonian heritage, she had this, this kavod, this honor, and she did not want to go in front of, she did not submit herself to the king. So because of that, he had her, he had her killed. So now, there was a reality show that was going on in Persia during that time. Who wants to marry a king? Right? That was going on. Right? And, and what happened over here? So you had all the eligible bachelorettes come in and they would go and they could ask for whatever it is that they want and they need it. Esther didn't ask for anything. She didn't ask for anything. And then Ahasuerus goes over to her and he says, so where are you from? I guess one of their long walks on the beach, whenever, I don't know, whatever. You know, he went and he started to interrogate. What it is that you want? I want nothing. I don't need anything. Where do you come from? Eh, doesn't matter. How did she sell it doesn't matter? Because what was, what was happening? Ahasuerus' problem with Vashi was, look where I came from. You know where I came from? Where I came from matters a lot. Estelle says, it doesn't matter where I came from. What do you want me to be? You want me to be the Persian king? Queen, I'll be the Persian queen. You want me to be this? I'll be whatever it is that you want. Don't worry about the past. So she, wor- it, she worked that angle into Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus was like, that's what I want. That's exactly the what I need. I don't want somebody that's going to go arrogant about, oh, you know where I come from? I come from the tribe of Benjamin. I come from, you know, power. I come from, you know, royalty. He doesn't want any of that. He wanted to go somebody that says, you know what, Ahasuerus? I am whatever it is that you want me to be. So she goes in, and you know how she sells it that she doesn't say? Because that's what he was looking for. He wanted somebody that is completely submissive, doesn't do, doesn't have any background whatsoever. That is perfect of what he wanted. This, his, his goal was to have this, this figure that was the, the feminine aspect of Persia. 
And that's what he got. She would be whatever it is that he would want him to, her to be. So now, the problem is, is that let's say she's, this is her persona that she's, you know, displaying for certain amount of years, and all of a sudden, Nachash is saying, so what is it that you want? I'll give you up to half the kingdom. If she says, oh, by the way, I'm Jewish, and I want to save my Jewish people, so that falls apart. Her entire persona that she has from the beginning says, wait a minute, so you've been lying to me all along? So you do have a nationality? You do care about the Jewish people? You do have this more than the Persian Empire? So that when, when she comes in initially, she couldn't just say what she wanted, even though Nachash was offering her everything. She says, no, 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 I have to work it very, very carefully, because if I do this right away, then it's not. It's going to fall on its face. Nachash going to see through it. He's going to say, wait a minute, what's going on over here? I thought you are the, 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 the feminine aspect of Persia. Now you tell me that you're not? So she couldn't ask for it. That's why she says, you know what? I want you to come to my party. And look what happened when she goes and she, she, uh, she invites Ahasuerus to her party. But not only that, she doesn't only invite Ahasuerus, she also invites Haman to her party. Now we have to understand why she invited Haman to her party. So Esther was taking her uh, playbook from Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov, when he went to prepare himself against Esav, he did it in three stages. Number one is prayer. Number two is appeasement to Esav. And number three is battle. And that's what Estelle did. Number one, she did prayer. She fasted. Number, number two is appeasement. She invited Ahaman to party number one. The battle would be party number two. And we'll soon see how that battle, how that battle entails. So now, when, when, um, you look at the Psukim. In Estelle chapter 5 verse 4, she goes and she invites Haman and Ahasuerus to the party. So the first party, this is how it works. Yavo HaMelech Haman says Estelle, let Ham, the king and Haman, Hayom, come today, El HaMishteh, to the, to the party, Asher Asiti Lo, that I made for him. He says, Haman, Ahasuerus, I want you to come to the party that I did for him. Wait a minute, who, who's for him? So Ahasuerus starts thinking, you know, his brain starts turning, she's making a party, he said she was for him, doesn't say for Ahasuerus, and she's fighting. So first he starts thinking, she's like, did she make the party for me? If she made the party for me, then why is she inviting Haman? And then he's like, well, maybe she's making the party for him, but why is she making the party for him? You know, so his mind is starting to work over here, and he's starting to think, like, what's going on with Estelle? Like, why is she inviting, you know, the second to the command? Does she, is something maybe going on? Like, who knows, you know, how men's minds start working. So then look at the second party. She plays on this aspect even more. Estelle chapter 5 verse 8. It says, Let again, that, the Melech, the king, and Haman to the, to the party, that I did for them. So it went in from law to like singular. No, I mean, now I'm making this party for both of you. Equal playing grounds. Ahasuerus is like, what? What do you mean for them? You're making the party for me and Haman together. We're on the same, she's honoring Haman and Ahasuerus on the same level. That's why when Ahasuerus went and, and he sent the invitation to Haman, what did he say? He said, you better come to the party that Esther invited you. Meaning that don't think that you're at such a high level that you're higher than the queen. The queen is higher than you. He was trying to belittle. He was like focusing like, what's going on over here? So he says, Esther is higher than you, Haman. Now what happens over here? Ahasuerus starts thinking. He this is the second night, right? That's after the first party. She invited Haman to the first party. Why did she do that? And then she invited Haman to a second party. So then he started thinking, it's like maybe something's going on between them. Is there maybe something, you know, sketchy going on over here? And, you know, as the mind is going on for him, he's, he's you know, it's, it's starting to bother him. He's like, well, maybe, maybe the opposite. Maybe, you know, maybe Haman is trying to kill me. Maybe she's trying to kill me and they're trying to run away together. Like, you know how minds start working. It's like the unknown is very, you know, go, goes crazy. Imagine somebody goes to a doctor. And he gets his blood work. And the doctor is looking at the blood work. And then he does his like, ooh, oh, that's not good. You know, and they're like, doc, what's going on? I'd be like, oh, no, it's nothing. And be like, oh, my God. We're going to run some extra tests. Be like, doc, what's going on? Be like, no, nah, don't worry about it. 
you know, we just have to run some extra test. You want a Corona? You know, like, what? You know, like we're just going to run some extra tests. We don't know. Like, let's just, you know, like, we're just doing extra precautions of what's going on over here. So, um, you know, like the unknown, when you don't know what's going on, all of a sudden your blood pressure through the roof. Forget about it. You can't sleep. Be like, doctor's like, yeah, call us next week. Can, we, can I call you in an hour? Yeah, like, can, can I pay extra to do this expedited? You know, can we do one day shipping instead of the, what's going on? You know, like, so you want to do it. So Hashem is working on the unknown. Is something happening with Estelle? Is something happening with Haman? Are they trying to go against me? Are they working together? Who knows what's going on? So he has all these thoughts going on in his mind. Therefore, it's no wonder that Estelle, chapter 6, verse 1, it says, That night the king's sleep was disturbed. Of course he was disturbed. He was thinking about Esther. He was thinking about Haman. What's going on between them? So what, what, is, what is he thinking about? He's like, you know what? Maybe they're trying to kill me. Maybe they're trying to poison But then Hashem is thinking, they're not going to poison me. Anybody knows that somebody who tries to poison the king or tries to kill the king and they find, figure out the plot, they're going to get heavily rewarded. So they wouldn't do that. And then I was just thinking, like, wait a minute. Maybe it has happened before that somebody saved the king's life and he wasn't, he didn't get rewarded. So people think that by going and saving the king's life, it's not worth it. So what does he say? He calls the Sefer Zikonot, call, bring in the books of the remembrance. Let's see what's going on over here. Is there any situation in history that someone tried to save my life and I didn't pay them back? And that's where he comes in and covers that Mordechai saved his life. And Mordechai saved his life and he didn't pay him back. This is where it all comes in. But what does he learn from this? He says, wait a minute. He says, if Mordechai, who he knew raised Esther, is saved his life, then all of a sudden he's like, okay, so Esther must be loyal to me. So something is going on. All of a sudden, Esther is using an amazing psychology that Ahasuerus is starting to like, what's going on with Haman? Something's weird going on over here. Something fishy, you know, is going on with him. And that is also, when he fell asleep that night, he had a dream that Haman tried to kill him. And then, you know, we're not going to get to this part of the story. Right when he woke up, who walk, who knocks on the door in the middle of the early morning is Haman. <laughs> and what does he say to with Ahasuerus? Ahasuerus walks in, what should we do to somebody that the king wants to honor? He's thinking about Mordechai, he has to honor him. What, is, what does Haman say? Keeps on throwing the king's clothes, the king's horse, the king's crown. You let them ride over there. He's throwing it, making it that it seems like Haman is trying to overcut, overtake the, you know, the king. And this is why the king Ahasuerus figured, I gotta deflate this guy's ego. He says, you know what? Yes. You know what's going to happen? You are going to go and you're going to do this to, to Mordechai. So Haman says, why do I have to do it? He says, no, Ahasuerus wanted Haman to do it because Haman was getting too powerful. The ego was too much. He was too nervous what was going on with Estelle, what was going on with Haman, what's going on with this party. You know, we got to bring him low. we got to lower him down. So the king wanted Haman to act as a stable boy. So what happens? Haman takes, he takes Mordechai against his will and he goes and he starts carrying it through the streets, screaming, this is what should be done to the king, to a person the king wants to honor. Then what happens? So the, uh, Haman walks past by his house. And he had a daughter, and the daughter looks down, and she sees somebody carrying the, you know, somebody else. And who does she think? Someone's leading somebody else. She's thinking, who is she thinking? Mordechai is probably the one in the front. Haman is probably the one riding on the, on the, you know, on the horse. So what she decides she's going to do is back then, the toilets didn't flush. Um, they went in a certain area, and she took that area, and she threw it on the person that was guarding, that was guarding uh, Mordechai. And who did it land on? It landed on Haman. And Haman is covered in feces. And he's like, what just happened? He looks up and he sees the shock. It was thrown by his daughter. His daughter was in such shock that she saw her father's face over there. She was so, she was such a shock. She actually committed suicide. She jumped off the ledge over there and she, and she, and she died on the spot. This, and the, uh, Haman had no choice. It was under strict king's orders. He had to continue. He couldn't even mourn for his daughter. He continued, and this is where, after he, after he led Mordechai through the streets, this is all of a sudden where he had to go back now to the second party. 
So that was all introduction of what's happening now in the second party. So the second party, Haman is down, right? It's really the hapachol. Everything turned around on him. He is smell. He didn't have a chance to shower. He is smelling in feces. He is disturbed. He's bothered. He's everything is, is he's down in the dumps and. He's going over and he gets into this party. And now, Estelle is going to decide, this is the party where I'm going to tell Ahasuerus what is it that I need. And what happens? She tells him, listen, I come from royalty. I come from the tribe of Benjamin, which Shaul Melech, which comes, you know, with the king of the Jewish nation. And she goes and she tells Ahasuerus like this. In chapter 7, verse 4, it says, We were sold. Me and my nation. We went and we were sold to be destroyed. And what does she say? She says, me and, and, and the people of my nation. What she's going and telling Ahasuerus is now something, of, you know, look at this, so specific. She goes and she tells him, says, you know, I, I need you to save me. You're like, like, I need, you know, she was looking for her knight in shining army now to go and say, men have this, this, uh, need to go and save the woman. It's a, it's a, it's like a, that's why when a woman goes and she goes to the man and she says, you know, I had a terrible day today. And she, she just wants to vent. No solutions. I don't want to hear any solutions. I just want to complain. That's all I want to do. But a man is like, wait a minute. I have the solutions. You know, I'm your man in shining armor. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. You're going to do that. And she's like, well, you don't even listen to me. You don't even know what I'm talking about. You never... Right? And then it's a, you know, shalom bite. So why? Because a woman wants to vent. A man wants to fix. Why does he want to fix? I'm saving you. My damsel in distress, I'm here, I'm here to save you. That's the, uh, there's a man need for that. A woman just wants to vent, but a man needs to go and save it. So she was playing on that. Estelle says, I need you to save me. I was sold, uh, me and my nation. First she said me, first I need you to save me. So Ahasuerus, now how did she play this? So Ahasuerus, that's how they play this. This is obviously Ahasuerus, it's from HaKadosh Bahu. But what happened over here? Ahasuerus was looking for this feminine embodiment of Persia. And she says, I'm still that. I'm still the feminine about him. But right now, I, I'm stuck. I need a savior. I need somebody to go and save me. It's not about that I was always, you know, this is something that I was high in you. As I'm telling you right now that I, if you don't save me right now, I am going to die. And my entire nation is going to die. So instead of knocking off the fact that she's not the, the embodiment, the feminine aspect of Persia, she is. But now she needs saving, and that's why she couldn't ask it initially. She had to go and she built it up. But how did she build it up? She says the Gemara, she went and she made Haman, she made Ahasuerus jealous that Haman, there's something going on with Haman. And to the extent that she knew there was a possibility that she and Haman would get killed. And she was willing to take that risk. Meaning that if I go and I die, and Haman will die, at least, you know, will take the, you know, the decree with us. So she was willing to go and risk everything for that. But wh- how, what angle did she work on? She worked on the fact that could get Haman, the, let, let Ahasuerus be jealous of Haman. He has too much power, this guy. He has, to, is due for trouble that's gonna happen over here. So she worked on that, uh, you know, on that angle. Now, Ahasuerus is sitting over here. And she says, what? Somebody is trying to kill my queen? Who is it? Who Who is this guy that's trying to kill it? And she points and she says, it's Haman. And Haman is like, what? He's like, I didn't even know she was Jewish. So, you know, like he, he was, he was like, you know, like shocked. And all of a sudden, like this knocked off a few things. First of all, <laughs> the questions that she had, that, that Ahasuerus had, is she having any faithful issues, you know, with Haman? Obviously that like went right out the window. She went and she's like, wait a minute. No, Haman is now trying to kill my, you know, my wife. All of a sudden he like, it's sort of like, it's a, it's a different type of buildup. There's the martial arts called, uh, judo. And judo is where, if let's say you're fighting a, a large opponent, you don't, you can't, you're not gonna be able to go and, and hurt this opponent because it's too big. So what you do is, is that you use his momentum to go and, and bring him down. So when he punches, you take the punch and you and you continue the momentum and you move it away and you make him throw, fall on the floor. It's like using the momentum of the of the opponent 
for your benefit. So Estelle was now, she's built this tremendous momentum. Momentum of like, there's something going on. So Ahasuerus is like, oh, his blood pressure is going up over here. Something is going on. And with the last second, what she did was, and she's like, you know, Ahasuerus, before he, she leaned on the side and she's like, this is the guy. That's what you got to hit those punches for. And he's like, what? Hamad? And he was going beyond himself. He's like, my second in command went and wanted to go and kill my, my, my queen. He wanted to kill my queen's people. It made absolutely no, you know, it bothered him so much that he had to step outside. He had to get some ear on the balcony. He goes out. And as he's going out, he's starting to think. Meanwhile, Haman and and Esther are by themselves in this party. And Ahasuerus is thinking, and he's like, could it be the second man? And then he's thinking about, wait a minute. Who was the one that got me to kill my first wife? Vashti was Haman. Who was the one now that's getting me to kill my second wife? That's Haman. There's something going on over here. He's starting to connect the dots. There's something wrong over here. And he thinks like, wait a minute. He, was, he, was, he drank a lot during that time. And he's like, there must be something going on. And then he's like, I left I left Esther and I left Haman together in the room alone. He's like, what was I thinking? And he runs back. As he's running back, what was happening during that time in the, you know, the scene was taking place in Estelle's, in the, in the party, was Haman now is, is working on trying to go and beg Estelle for forgiveness to try, he realized that it's not looking good for him. He just, you know, he's, remember, he's feces all over, right? He's wearing cologne a la natural. You know, he is like in a situation that he does not want to be in. He knows that he's going down. So, as he's going and he wants to go and he wants to like, like bow down, show respect to Estelle, suddenly Ahasuerus is this moment runs in. He barges in. And he barges in. Haman, as he's bowing down, jumps. But he slips. And now Esther was laying on the couch, like we said, that he used to lay on the couch. So Haman falls on top of Estelle. And this is the scene that Ahasuerus walks right into. And that what Ahasuerus is saying, what? While I'm in the house? You're trying to go and kill her while I'm in the house? And this is where it led to eventually having Haman get, uh, you know, get, get killed and get, uh, you know, hung on the tree. Now, we could go and we could start answering some of the questions. Let's look at Ham- like Ahasuerus' personality. Ahasuerus' personality was what? That he wanted complete unlimited power. And not only that he wanted complete on, un- he wanted to keep it that way. So he threw parties and he threw parties in a specific angle, angle that is saying that you are under my command. I, you are my servants. Now what happens? He hated the Jews. Now, why did he hate the Jews? So we have to, we never answered that question. Why did he have such a, why did, the, uh, you know, the, the, we spoke about that he wanted the Bet Amikdash. Why does he care? So because he wanted this power and he wanted to keep this power, what was very common during those days is for the kings and the, and the rulers to go over to the astrologers or the magicians of the time and say, look in the stars and see who's going to take over my throne. Who is going to sit on the throne after me? Why would this be so important? So they would know who they have to be careful for. If let's say they're fighting a battle against a certain, you know, nation or nationality, they have to realize, okay, this is where they're going to take me over. We you know, restructure my, you know, my methods of what I need to do. It brings them, this is something that they were very, very paranoid at the time. So the astrologers look into the stars and they say, you know who's going to take you over? It's going to be a Jew. A Jew is going to take you over. And he's saying, a Jew is going to take me over? He's like, what do you mean? I can't have this Jew. So what does he want to do? He wanted to make sure that the Jewish people fall to the lowest level, that they had no power whatsoever. At You know why he cared so much about the temple? He says, because this is going to be my downfall. If the Jewish people go and rebuild the temple, they're going to revolt and they're going to take me over. He says, Esther, I'll give you everything. But I can't give you this because my whole focus is what is I want to keep my power. I want it so I can't, I have to get the Jews, the, I cannot bring the build them to the temple. And he wanted to go and get the Jewish people to sin. Why did he want the Jewish people? Why did he care about the Jewish people? Why did he want 
wanted to sin so badly because he wanted to make sure that his unlimited power stays unlimited. He wanted to make sure that he stays in power. He wanted to make sure that his, you know, like the people that will take him over are not going to be the Jewish people. What happened all the way at the end? All the way at the end, Estelle comes and says, I am Jewish and my nation is Jewish. All of a sudden, something clicks in him. He's like, wait a minute, if you're Jewish, then my child is Jewish. And if my child is Jewish, that means that my child is going to take over my throne. So why did I, I don't have a problem with the Jews. No, the Jews, you want to, all of a sudden, there was 180, 180 degrees. First, he wanted to kill all the Jews. Everything. All of a sudden, after Haman gets, you know, gets hung, no, the Jews could protect themselves, not only could take the spoils in the war. He changed 180 degrees because his hatred towards the Jews was what? They were taking my power. Everything that I worked so hard, 180 day party, the focus that I did, they're taking it away. Oh no, that's not going to happen. All of a sudden, he realized that his son is Jewish. Oh, then it's all, yeah, whatever. It's cool. Yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. Like, Depending on the, on the interpretation. Yeah, some say that she was old. Yeah, but she was able to have a child. She did have a child. Darius II. Who ended up, you know, just, you know, side note, she en- he ended up building the Beit HaMikdash, you know, through him. Well, so, but did she send, uh, like, uh, a, a demon or whatever? Uh, let's, let's, okay, before you get to that. Yes, <laughs> so uh, let, let's go, go through those questions afterwards. So, we're, we're almost finished over here. So what now what, what's happening, thank you. What's happening over here is now let's look. So far so good, you guys are, okay, we're wrapping it up right now. So uh, in two minutes. So thank you. The, let's look to the original question. The original question that we asked was on the first pasuk. Really right now we're just explaining the first pasuk. That's, this is the first pasuk. Okay? The first pasuk in Estelle, it says what? The question that we ask is why are you repeating it? We know it's a hashvash. Why do you have to repeat it? It says Rashi, it's the same wicked hashvash from the beginning to the end. But we ask our first question, but I don't understand. How is he the same wicked one? All of a sudden in the beginning he hated the Jews. At the end he loved the Jews. Why is he considered wicked? And the answer is because his mentality didn't change. He didn't love the Jews anymore. His mentality his psychology was one thing, keeping my empire. And if this is where I'm going to keep my empire, then fine. What's going to happen down the line if someone convinces him that a Jew of a different descent is going to go and is going to go and take him over? Then he's going to hate the Jews again. He was the same wicked king from the beginning to the end, no matter what you see. Because his psychology did not change. His psychology did not change. And this is why we can answer a question that we didn't, ask, we didn't, ask, we didn't even ask him. The last pasuk, the last pasuk in uh, Estelle, it says that that more, and this is down in Rashi, that Mordechai kept it, he was, he was raised to high power. It's like a, think about it as like a prime minister. And what happened was, is that after the Jews were saved, he stayed in power. And a lot of the Sanhedrin says, why are you staying in power? Politics are not good for the, for people. They corrupt. People would spend upwards of a half a billion dollars to get into politics. It's corrupt, you know, corruption that, that goes, you know, that, I'm not saying that this person is corrupt. I'm just saying that it, it, it disturbs, it changes you. So the Sanhedrin says, Mordechai, the risk is gone. The Jewish people are saved. The Jewish people no longer have to be worried about it. Estelle, the decree went by. You go back to the Bet Midrash, go learn. And Mordechai says, no, I have to stay in the, in the, in, you know, in politics. The question is why? So a lot of the Sanhedrin didn't agree with him. You want to know why Mordechai decided he needed to stay? It's because who Achashverosh is the same Achashverosh. Don't be fooled thinking that he's different and he's better and the decree is done now. You don't know with this guy, he's, you know, there's something loose over there that who knows, somebody else could come by, can, you know, convince him. Mordechai felt that he had to go and he had to stay over here. So we see over here so beautifully. We ask so many questions. Why did it, why did he make this party? Why did Vashti have to come in? Why did no music? Why did against the Bet Hamikdash? Why did he care so much about Esther's background? Though all these questions that we ask, the ten plus questions that we ask, all get answered when you understand 
What's the psychology of Achashverosh? The psychology of Achashverosh was, I want to keep my kingdom. And not only do I want to keep it, I want to make sure that it's unlimited power. And when you understand that, you understand all the assets of what's going on back and forth. And when you understand what his mentality was, now you can understand the psychology of Estelle and why she had to go and invite him to the parties. And now when you understand the psychology of Estelle, all of a sudden you understand how everything works, everything works in. And this is why we say that the story of Purim is a story where God is hidden. Because it looks like genius is in the play. It's like this one is working in psychology and this one is working in psychology and this one's manipulating and this one's manipulating but really HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going and orchestrating everything from up above. So far so good? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Any questions? Okay. Yes. Demon questions. It's a different opinions of how old she was. Some say she was younger some say she was older. Typical Jewish. Oh, I don't know what age she died. It's a good question. She had a son. Darius II, um, and uh, that son eventually took power, and that son also let the, the Jewish people build a Beit HaMikdash. But, but eventually she was actually married to more Mordecai, she was his wife, no? Different opinions. If she was a wife, there was, yeah, and how she went in it, it's a class in itself. More than a class in itself. Maybe we should do that next year if I remember. So again, it's a class in itself to understand it. How did you do that? And then it actually, it's part of your question with the demon and how that worked. And then the last time, the last time it wasn't with the demon. There's a, there's, it's a whole, you know, discussion in itself. It's not a simple one, two, three answer. But it's a good question. It's a great answer, right? <laughs> answer is a great question. Yeah. It's just too long to go to, uh, too long to get into, to get into it. And how, um, I'll read the Midrashim, it'll explain to you what happened. I know that the last time when she actually has to go to him, she told that she, she has to go and she uh, has to um, leave the Mordecai at that point when she actually meets the yep. king. But all the time, but she, she, you were saying that she was living in a, in a palace for a longer time. Quite a few years. Mm-hmm. So all the time she was, uh, she was, uh, she never actually... Went. Never actually was with, with uh, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. How do we understand that what she did? What? They had a baby, no? They had a baby after the story of Pauline. Mm-hmm. It was after that, yeah. Again, it's, it's, I, I feel like I'm going to end up giving the collector now, but it's, it's a long thing to understand how she did it and, and why she did it and how she got to do it again. Um, interesting, interesting uh, uh, topic. Any other questions that are not resolved around demons and babies? All right. <laughs> no? Okay. Chazak You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.